So Money episode 623, Ask Farnoosh with special co-host David Fox. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome to So Money, everyone. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. It is September 8th, 2017. Welcome to the show. Hope you all had a wonderful, relaxing Labor Day break. It is fall for all intents and purposes. I'm no longer wearing my white pants and my white shoes, although it's fashion week too. And I don't know, maybe that's okay. Uh, Our guest, special guest co-host today is a real fan of the show. And I know in the last few weeks I've had on friends and previous guests. And so I'm really excited to bring on a true bona fide fan, capital F, of the show. David Fox has been listening not only to the podcast, probably from its beginning, but I understand also has been watching videos on Yahoo Finance when I was a host there of Financially Fit. So it's really an honor and a pleasure to meet someone who has been following my work for so long. And I'm really interested to hear about you, David. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you. No, it's really awesome to be here. Um, Like you said, I kind of listened to Yahoo Finance. They were like my finance Bible going through college. And uh, so I did see a few of your videos, read some of your articles. And um, yeah, so I started listening to So Money and I was kind of amazed because you you took So Money, the podcast from like zero to 100 real quick. (laughs) So, uh, you know, you had these really cool guests on and stuff. So yeah, I've been a listener uh, pretty much since you started that. And uh, yeah, as for me, I, I kind of followed the personal finance realm through college. I'm an, I'm an accountant. I'm working on my CPA right now. Um, and personal finance is kind of a, it's like a, just a personal interest of mine. Uh, I tend to do more corporate audit type of work. I just thought it would be awesome to kind of help people answer their questions. I've definitely been through my own personal finance journey. I, I moved to Japan after I graduated from college to teach English while I was paying down uh, student debts and then came back, started with a big accounting firm, um, moved over to Paris for a while with work, and then recently moved back. I'm working in Silicon Valley now, uh, doing some work out here with a client of mine. And uh, yeah, just kind of trying to balance, you know, work, life, travel, all the all the good stuff. So, um, Are you the friend that everybody goes to for money advice? <laughs> um, definitely, I do get asked some interesting questions sometimes. And what surprises me is how various people's situations are. You could have your financial situation figured out to a T. And even with some of the questions that we that we have in on the podcast today, you can tell people just have such different experiences. And so it really is kind of a tailor-made personal finance is such a specific personal thing. So it's kind of interesting for people. And it's important for people to get to know how it affects their lives. Um, so I think what you're doing with the podcast is is really intelligent. So I encourage people to, to not just listen to the podcast and hear the answer to their question, but to really dive deep in some of the things like their taxes or their, you know, their budgets, things that uh, that really can benefit them a lot. 
Well, I'm really happy to have you here with us. Our first question is from a 25-year-old. So I love that she's young and interested and being uh, proactive about her money. She's anonymous. Didn't want to be uh, mentioning her name on the air. That's cool. She lives in Chicago. She makes about 60 grand a year. She's got no debt, which is awesome. 22000 in savings. Can I ask wow. you, David, how much you have in savings? Is it uh, uh, more much. than that? Well, not savings, that much? I mean... The important thing is to have enough on tap. <laughs> so I have right. enough on tap, but it is okay. well invested. Cool. All right. She is single and she wants to know how much of her savings should she invest in an index fund? You know, we're big fans of index funds on this show. Warren Buffett likes index funds. Most people, he says, should be just in index funds. Um, I mean, if... I, I I don't know if she has a I don't know anonymous if you have a four hundred one k at work uh, I would start there and maybe do up to ten percent of your income if there's a match even better um, additionally if you wanted to start an index fund or alternatively an index fund uh, and you don't have say a four hundred one k at work then there I would say you know ten uh, percent could be a good place to start given that she's only twenty five and hopefully this is something that will be consistently. Um, automatically done every year. What, what's your approach? Honestly, I'm a big financial independence fan. So I think um, the more you have in investments, it's probably the better. At her age, she's single. It says she has no debt. Um, $22,000 in savings is super high. Um, the other interesting thing is it, your 401k benefits from compound interest. Any index fund, um, that's really where you're going to get the most value is putting it in early and then having it in there for a long time. So being 25, she's in a perfect spot to sock away a bunch of that savings into her 401k. And like you said, I would recommend 60k annual salary. She's probably in a 25% tax bracket. I would have her look at what she could put into her 401k that it would at least get her to a lower tax bracket and live mm-hmm. off some of that savings for a while to draw it down. And in the meantime, really try and hit that $18,000 limit on your 401k. Um, lower your taxable uh, income, and you'll save yourself some taxes. Not only that, you'll bring down that savings, you'll defer the tax on your 401k. And you can only do that once. Once the year's over, you can't go back and put it in for that year. So she can check off 25 on the list as a year where she maxed out her 401k. And that's fantastic. Um, That's a really good point you bring up, which is that you contribute as much as to the 401k where your taxable income reduces enough and you're in a new income bracket, a new, a new tax bracket rather. Um, that's a, a, an int- a good way to put it, I think, because after all, why? I mean, that's a huge benefit of the 401k is the tax deduction. You're so money anonymous. And I don't know why you wouldn't want to name, name drop your name on the show. I think that there's a lot to be <laughs> uh, proud oh, of. Before we move on, yeah. what would you think of like how much of her savings should she invest in her index fund? 22K is an awful lot. Oh, of her savings. You know, I would say you know, so yeah, I kind of didn't catch that. So it, it, specifically with the 22000 in savings, I would keep enough liquid where if you lost your job, you could cover your expenses for three months. You know, we normally we say six to nine months for the average person, a year for entrepreneurs. But for someone who's in her 20s, who's gainfully employed, who could probably find another job in this market relatively quickly, it's not necessary to have like you know, massive amount of cash on hand. I think like exactly. three months is good. You'll be, I, I trust that you'll be able to bring some income in within those three months. Um, so the, so from there, I think, um, you know, see where you land and then the rest goes into 
uh, investing. Okay. Right. You right. could have the safety net of mom and dad too. I think like if you if you put the money away and you're saying, hey, I contributed to my 401k, it's going to be a lot better than, hey, I spent the money on, you know, booze and friends, you know. Right. So. Which is not so hard. It's not so hard to do that when you're 25. Exactly. It's not so hard to do when you're 37 either. I'll tell you that. <laughs> um, Okay, so tell us what is on Jordan's mind. I'm going to have you do a little uh, work for us here, David. Tell us, read us Jordan's question. Sure. Uh, Jordan has three student loans that are $5,000 each. Uh, He's contacted the lenders and says they won't accept principal-only payments to help pay them down. So he asks if we have any ideas to help him either get around that or kind of to effectively pay down the principal, I suppose. That's unfortunate, isn't it? I wonder if he could, at least with one or two of them or all of them, if they're private, consolidate and then just maybe then get a new lender in the process who would be a little bit more flexible and open to paying, making principal payments. Another way to uh, navigate this potentially is look at some 0% APR credit cards that may start you off with like a six or $8,000 limit, convert one of those loans to that card and effectively, you know, you get, you're making 0% interest payments. Um, that again may require some, some strategy and some permission. So make sure that that's even possible. But, you know, I think in this case, it's really about finding a new, lender who would be open to making principal only payments. And as we know, that's a great way to knock down the debt is you pay your minimums, but if you have extra money, make that additional payment towards the loan and make it specifically for principal only. Did you have student loans, Jordan, when you graduated from college? Um, I did. Yeah. I'm sorry. I called um, you Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. That would totally makes sense. Jordan is asking yeah, I think, a question. Uh, You're David. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, um, I did. Yeah. And actually, so this is probably for the listeners. I think they might benefit from knowing like this is an important example of when it's really important to read your loan documentation to know, OK, what are the terms that I'm entering into? What's the interest rate? Are there going to be any penalties for early payoff, um, whether it's a car loan, a student loan, you know, a mortgage, anything like that? It's really important to read that documentation and ask those questions before you accept them. Um but like you said, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of the balance transfer offer method. I used it uh, for my student loans. I graduated with probably $25,000 in student loans. Um, I paid them off years ago, um, and it took a lot of work, and it took a lot of focus. Um, but it's, it's done. And I think the balance transfer offer is a great idea if you're going to have the savings um, on your interest rate. Most balance transfer offers charge an upfront fee. Actually, Farnoosh, I asked you this question on one of your other Ask Farnoosh. So oh, yeah? scroll back a little bit in the in the, in the, <laughs> the podcast list and listen to, listen to that one. But yeah, as long as you're able to pay off the credit card and not put too much on there. Let's say you have three student loans. That's $15,000. Let's say you're able to put $10,000 on, on a no interest balance transfer card. And let's say you pay 3% on that. If your interest rate on the $10,000 is 10%, and you're able to pay 3% and extend that for two years, um, then that saves you that 7% net in interest. Um, the important thing is that you pay it off before the uh, due date comes because in that case, some cards, and again, this is important where it's important to read the terms of the loan, right? It, even though it's a 3% balance transfer, it's still a loan. Um, you want to read the terms and make sure some of them charge interest retroactively. So if you don't pay it off by the end of the date, they'll actually charge you from the beginning of the one or two year period at 22% or whatever their interest rate is. 
So it's really important to, to read that. And if you're not sure in your job, you're unsure, um, then honestly, if you're not sure in your job and you can't do a balanced transfer offer, I would just take the money that you're going to throw towards the loan each month and put it into a high yield savings account, something like with Ally Bank, and just sock it away every month. Once you have enough to pay off the loans, if you're allowed to do a payoff, then do a lump sum payoff. If not, then just once you reach your limit in that account, just let it sit there, forget about it, set up an auto pay each month, and you've effectively paid down the loan. Um, and you just have to check in on it every now and then. David, you should have your own podcast or at least a blog. <laughs> You're a wealth um, of information. I, uh, well, I, yeah, I tried to blog a while. I actually started my own website, but it's it's like literally. What is it? Tell us. We'll stock it. Tell us. Uh, it's uh, it's davidfox.info. Um, okay. But yeah, it's more of like a personal project that I kind of started to set up because I feel like, you know, spend so much time on Facebook. Might I as well. think you're onto something. I mean, I could just sit back and have you answer all these questions. I'm just going to like sit here and <laughs> doodle. Um, no, but that's a great, that's great advice. That's really uh, specific advice. I love having you on this show. All right. Erica says that the stocks in her 401k were pre-selected on a risk assessment quiz. So she wants to know, should she instead pick stocks based on expense ratio? So I'm a little conflicted about this, David. I mean, I think both are important factors in creating a portfolio, right? You want to make sure that it's risk adjusted to address your risk tolerance. And that's very important that it's a diverse mix of uh, investments that really um, kind of size up to how you are, uh, as how comfortable of an investor you are. But also you want to be mindful of the expense ratios. And I think that um, what I would do, Erica, honestly, if I were you, I would I would kind of go into the portfolio as it was created from this risk assessment quiz and go line by line, fund by fund, stock by stock, whichever, you know, whatever kind of the investments are and, and talk to somebody um, at the 401k provider and just say, you know, uh, is there a way to maintain this portfolio mix, the sort of the spirit of this portfolio mix, but reduce the expense ratios, swapping one fund for another that is more or less the same kind of fund, but maybe less expensive in terms of expense ratio. Um, and in terms of what is an expensive expense ratio, I think anything over 1%, uh, you may want to look at that a little more uh, critically and, and wonder if there's something more affordable to swap in. What's your take? Yeah, that's a great point. Um, yeah, I'm a big fan of peeling things down to the foundation a little bit and seeing, you know, what their risk assessment quiz really bases uh, things on. Maybe get some feel for, okay, maybe take the risk assessment quiz again if you can. Answer it like, you know, choose the opposite answers of what you would normally choose and see what a mix of assets it puts you in then. Um, because, you know, there's something going on in the black box that we don't know quite yet for the risk assessment part. Um, but if you're, uh, I'm not sure how old you are, Erica, but I'm guessing, I don't know what your target demo is there, Farnoosh, but I'm guessing you're probably uh, You you're could probably guess younger. safely between 20 and 40. <laughs> That's a big range, but yeah. yeah. So something like that. I mean, even 40, you have 20 years before you're probably going to retire if you retire early. Um, so you have some time to, you know, take a bit of additional risk um, and try to reap some of the rewards of that. Um, so I would say definitely pay attention to the expense ratios. There are a few calculators out there that you can use to estimate the expense ratios and see if you have two funds and you have their expense ratios, 
you can plug in the same data for both and just change the expense ratio and see how it would affect your gro- your earnings over 10, 20, 30 years um, and see if it's worth it to you to make a switch. Um, but yeah, I'm a big fan of picking based on expense ratio and the kind of the set it and forget it index method. Right. But most yes. 401ks have a S&P 500 um, index fund. Um, and honestly, if you don't have a risk assessment quiz like this 401k offers, I found it's easiest and the least stressful just to throw it into that S&P 500. And then right. you're only going to check it periodically until you retire, really. Um, maybe because, to shift it. Yeah, like, to your point, Erica could afford a good bit of risk, assuming that she's in her 20s, 30s. Even if she's 40, she has a long time until she's going to be pulling this money out. And so that's not... Assuming they're not putting her all in stocks, you know, and like no, like all really aggressive stocks. I, I think yeah, uh, junk bonds and <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I think you're probably going to be okay. And it is very important to keep uh, a close eye on that expense ratio because it does compound, and it could be tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars over decades. Heather has gotten a personal offer for a personal loan. And she wants to use it to consolidate $13,000 worth of credit card debt. Is it worth it? I think this is a simple math question, right, Uh, David? I think it's just what's the interest rate, Heather, on on your credit cards versus the one on this personal loan? Uh, The other benefit, of course, to consolidating is that you get one bill every month as opposed to multiple. And so it's easier to manage your payments and less likely that you will forget or fall through anything falling through the cracks. Um, so I'm, I'm okay with it. I mean, if it's, if it's really your question is more about, is it cool to kind of, uh, relocate these loans, uh, move them from one place to the other. Sure. I mean, if it's going to be financially beneficial to you and it will mean that you'll be able to manage this better and pay this off perhaps sooner or less expensively, then I think I'm all for it. Any other things that you should look out for, David? Mm, just to weigh the benefit of, like you said, having the kind of peace of mind of knowing you have a lower interest rate and you're only making one payment to one service every month. That's kind of nice. Um, but if she really wants to do the money savings, then perhaps she's eligible for this balance transfer credit card method as well. Um, again, just weighing the risk of that of that scenario. 13,000 is a kind of a lot depending on her financial situation to kind of ride on a balance transfer offer. If you get laid off or whatever happens, it might not be too smart, but I think the savings is certainly there, especially with credit card debt. When you're talking, you know, anywhere from 15 to 25% interest um, to slam it down on a balance transfer at 0% interest or actually effectively 3% interest because you pay the balance transfer fee. Um, then, you know, that's going to make a huge difference in her finances. So, but as long as she knows like, okay, I need to pay this off. I'm not just going to throw it on a balance transfer card and then leave it there and then have that become another credit card debt down the line. Um, I think it really just depends if she wants the money savings or the convenience. And so depending what her values are, I'd choose her to pick, I'd let her know to pick one and then go with it. Good advice. Good advice. All right. Rounding us out is a question here from Mary Grace, and it's a business question. You want to tell us what's on her money mind, David? Yeah. So it says, thanks to so money. There you go, Farnoosh. She says she finally made the plunge this year and started her own business. She wants to know what your advice is. I wish I had some noise effects back here, like, I don't know, some kind of like, I don't know. 
Yeah, like some and, fireworks or like a fireworks. Something blown yeah, up. something like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Well, very I cool. mean, the show is young, right? There's still time to get all that stuff put into place. Yeah, like a band or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, so her question is, what is your advice on entity formation? So LLC, S Corp, you have limited partnerships, corporations, all kinds of fun stuff. What do you think, Vernie? Well, I'm not a tax attorney and I will defer to all the great tax attorneys out there for the real answer to this, Mary Grace. But I will offer some um, personal anecdote here, which is I'm an S-Corp. And at the time when I was forming my business, my accountant explained it to me as being something that compared to an LLC may prove more tax advantageous. I know one of the differences with an S-Corp versus some other enti- like set, uh, entity formations is that you have to claim a salary every year uh, that is kind of on par with you know, quote, quote unquote, market salary for your, for your job role, job description, um, which a lot, which, you know, which is, uh, they, you know, my attorney explained it to me, my tax accountant explained it to me as something that could be uh, beneficial tax wise. Uh, you know, I think that if you're the, at the point where you're really considering this question, it's probably also a sign that you're ready to work with somebody per, more formally on your taxes and on your uh, profit and loss statements. So in that case, do look to find someone, you know, maybe it's um, someone like a bookkeeper, a tax attorney, even if you just have one meeting with a tax attorney to help you set up the entity formation, and then you can go and work with a simple bookkeeper for the kind of month to month bookkeeping. Um, I think that's one way to save money. You don't have to work with someone super sophisticated all year until your business really starts to really grow and you feel like you need um, some tax advice throughout the year. Uh, do you have any sort of side hustle or side business, David? I know you got your website, but any other like side income? Um, currently now, no. I did drive for Lyft and Uber when I was paying off my student loans. Um, so I definitely did that for a while. Um, I do do some rental activity, uh, things like that. Um, but I operate all that through kind of my personal. It's not big enough yet to where I would consider mm-hmm throwing it into an LLC or anything like that. Um, but as a general rule of thumb, I think the LLC is probably best if you're just starting off. It kind of depends on what you're making net. Um, and also probably how many employees you have. If you have employees, I think uh, the the limited partnership and your LLC are more flow through entities. So those would flow through to your personal income. Um, but if you start to get, see income reach higher and higher, or you're starting to hire people, then you start looking at those S corp and corporation, um, models. I think that's probably the best way to do it. LLCs also offer the limited liability protection, which is really important for right. you. Um, if somebody sues the business, they can't come after your personal assets necessarily, unless you're personally negligent. Um, mm-hmm. so if, you know, I don't know what, you, it depends what you're doing, what you're selling, but you know, if somebody tries to come right. after the business, it's not necessarily going to That's ruin. a good point. It does depend on like if you have a real product, like a physical product, I think in that case, maybe an LLC is better. Um, but, you know, I, I'm on Inc.'s website, Inc.com, and they actually have a really great article here on the pros and cons of LLCs versus S Corp. So, you know, the internet in this case can be a really great resource for you. I don't want to 
you know, generalize too much because I'm, this is not my uh, area of expertise, but uh, I can only speak personally. But yeah, I think in general, an LLC can be easier in some cases to set up, if, especially if you're new. It's, I know it's sometimes less expensive to start. Um, but yeah, I think as <clears throat> the more complex potentially your business and depending on where, you, what kind of business you have and how much money you're generating, that will uh, steer you in one direction or another. Good luck. Yeah. I'm so proud of you, Mary Grace. I'm really happy to hear about this new venture of yours. Tell us more. And as everyone knows, you know, it's not, you don't have to ask one question and go away on this show. You can continue to reach out to me and like you, David, I think we've answered your questions maybe one or two times and now you're a co-host. So the point is stay in touch. I want to build relationships with my listeners and this is a great way to, to start. David, was this everything you dreamed of and more? <laughs> no, it was fantastic. Dream come true. So I'm, I'm archived <laughs> in history at this point. Life complete. Right. Okay. Right. Um, live in the dream. Uh, really appreciate you coming on the show, especially because you brought such great advice, specific and helpful guidance to our listeners. And uh, I'm just really appreciative. Thank you so much. Yeah. No, thanks for the opportunity. So uh, I look forward to listening to all your upcoming episodes and, uh, Best of luck educating the masses. Love it. Keep up that blog. Oh, I'm working on it in my free time when I have it. Definitely. Definitely.